Well, I want to thank everyone for, for coming today. First, I'm going to talk a little bit about why we need continuous quality improvement or CQI. Um, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about what CQI is. Um, I'll give you some examples of how you can um, fit CQI into your program and what that looks like, giving some examples from other programs that I've worked with. And then we'll talk about next steps. So one question you might have is, are you having an impact in the work that you do? Many times we ask ourselves this question as to whether our services are having any kind of impact and what can we do to improve service delivery? So you may engage in quality improvement as you run your programs and you may be asking yourself, how can this training help me? So I've been doing these trainings um, for about 10 years now, um, working very closely with different programs, both in LA County and actually across the country. Um, most recently um, with programs in New York City who received funding to improve service delivery under Mayor de Blasio's Thrive New York City Initiative. And here are some of the quotes from staff members from other um, nonprofit community service organizations that I've worked with about how they feel about this um, continuous quality improvement process. This should give you some flavor of what to expect from this process. Um, some talk about how it creates a common framework and language that makes their job easier. Um, they talk about giving it a way to track their progress and highlight their program strengths and weaknesses. And it overall, it provides some structure on how to make changes and improve program quality and monitor that. I also wanted to give you um, some guidance on some uh, sort of the goals for today, which is to build your knowledge and capacity to implement CQI. Um, I'll be giving you an overview of um, approach to do this called Plan, Do, Study, Act. Um, and provide you with some tools to help you plan and document the PDSA process if you choose to go ahead and try to implement that. I'm also going to give you some resources that will hopefully motivate and engage others you work with in CQI, sort of provide a rationale for why CQI is valuable to the work that you do. And all of this um, that I'm going to cover today is um, provided in a manual that we developed in partnership with community service organizations called Promoting Success, a Getting to Outcomes Guide to Implementing CQI. Um, and that's free for download from the RAND website. Um, so all the tools and information that I provide for you today, you can get from that guide. The CQI approach that I'm gonna be talking about today is a planned, formal, systematic, and ongoing process with the goal to improve outcomes. So what I mean by that is that it's strategic rather than opportunistic. So you're thinking ahead about what you're doing. It's formal in that the work isn't intentional. It's not happening um, just by happenstance alone. It's systematic in that the effects are compared with planned expectations. So I'm going to want you to use data to both plan your efforts and monitor them. And the idea is that it's ongoing. So that you do a plan, do, study, act is a cycle that you can repeat and the work builds um, on itself. So where did this come from? Where did CQI come from? It actually has been in existence um, since the, a long time, since, uh, 300 to 600 AD, the arts and crafts guilds had master craftsmen that used an approach very similar to this in which they would um, create sort of benchmarks and they would evaluate um, the people that they mentored to ensure that they were um, meeting benchmarks um, and monitoring quality over time. The more modern quality movement began after the Industrial Revolution when manufacturing started to really pick up in the 1920s. And that's where the Plan to Study Act approach started um, with this idea of just um, 
creating and testing small hypotheses about what's influencing quality and testing those hypotheses and making changes over time based on what is found. Now this approach was, as I said, like traditionally in the manufacturing industry, but around the 1980s, managed care organizations started um, adopting it, adapting it for use in healthcare settings. Um, and what we found is those approaches that were designed primarily for hospital settings were not really, uh, you know, perfect for community service organizations and for nonprofits and, and people who are providing services in non-clinical um, hospital settings um, that have a lot more resources around quality assurance and data. So we made adaptions to the process sort of designed for the healthcare system to be used um, in more field-based settings and community care. And that was based on an iterative process where we piloted the efforts in um, collaboration with different community service organizations, providing prevention and treatment services in the community. And that's how the guide um, we developed came together. So why do we need quality improvement? Um, so thinking about your FSP program, um, why, why do you think this is important to you? This is, this is just one schematic that we really like and borrowed from the healthcare industry. As you can see in the corner, it's a guide for doctors. But the idea is that one potential method to systematically look at program activities and study change is through this method. And we borrowed this picture to discuss how not everyone that does quality improvement, but most healthcare providers believe that quality improvement is the right thing to do um, because they want to make sure that their patients get better. Um, so quality, the quality improvement movement is about affecting those healthcare practices in many ways. So you might think about how your reputation, DMH's reputation, depends on quality improvement. And although you might not have been taught about it in your traditional schooling and education, your well, the well-being of your and lives of your clients depend on that. So today we're going to explore um, how you might think about how you're doing quality improvement and how you can make changes and how you deliver services to incorporate these practices. So some of the assumptions about CQI is that it's, a, it's really about making small changes and studying those improvements, not about changing full cloth what you're doing. Um, and the idea is that you continue to practice it, that it's ongoing. It builds on that past data collection efforts and hopefully you might be able to identify data now that you could use and use throughout um, adopting these practices to help monitor your efforts. Uh, the idea is that the results will um, help uh, your programs get better and achieve the outcomes they're designed to achieve. And it's also important that everyone has a role in CQI, that it's not something that you can just assign off to one person to do, um, but that um, people uh, along the continuum in your organization from top leadership all the way down to direct service staff have a role. Um, and related to that, it's important that the organization supports that. And I'll talk about that in a little more detail later. So what is involved in doing CQI? Um, it involves, we're going to talk about a particular approach called Plan, Do, Study, Act Cycles today, which are four-step cycles where you first examine what you are doing, you plan for needed changes, you carry out those changes, and then you check whether um, there's any difference based on the changes you make in your program. And then you incorporate that information to make those changes routine or start over. So let's look at the cycle in more detail. So the plan phase is kind of where you start. 
And that's where you analyze your program's strengths and weaknesses, um, including outcome data that's feasible. And you determine a target and objective, deciding who, what, when, how you're going to uh, implement what we call a CQI action, a change in your program. And then you revisit and finalize that plan. Um, and chapters four and five in our manual kind of go over that in detail. And I, I'm going to talk about that in more detail after um, each of these. So we've developed three tools to help you document the planning phase of the process. Um, and these tools prompt you, ask you questions to help you review data about your program that then you can use to help you decide how to implement a CQI action. And those worksheets are called the Program Delivery Worksheet, the Program Outcomes Worksheet, and the Program Component Worksheet. And I'm going to provide examples of those later on. Moving on to the second phase in the Plan, Do, Study process, is carrying out your CQI action. So that's implementing that change in your program, that hypothesis that you're going to test um, to see if they result in any changes. So as part of the do phase is you need to document what, what is changing, um, observe any successes, problems, unexpected changes, by collecting measures of progress and impact. And those can be really informal, like just talking to staff, or they could be very, you know, more intensive, like um, collecting data from every single participant on their symptoms or functioning in a very systematic way over time. Um, in order to you to document and plan out the due phase, we have a couple of worksheets in our guide one called the CQI Action Identification Worksheet, and another called the Launching CQI Worksheet that, again, I'll talk about in more detail later. The third phase in the Plan, Do, Study, Act model is the study phase. And even though this happens, this is the third phase, you really need to anticipate it before you launch the due phase because you need to set up a plan to study your due, your CQI action. And that is figuring out <clears throat> what data you're going to use or experiences you're going to use to understand the impact of your CQI action. You'll compare results with your plans and predictions and summarize what you learned. And this is outlined in chapter six in our guide. We have one tool to help you plan and document the study phase of the studying CQI worksheet. And then the fourth and final phase in the PDSA cycle is uh, making a decision of how you'll routinize the new practice change, um, whether you'll just institute it widely because it was a success, make some change to it, um, or maybe just discontinue dis it altogether. Um, and then part of that phase is deciding what this next phase is, what, what you'll do next um, in terms of going back to the plan, do, study, act cycle. And this is in, described in chapter seven of our manual. And we have one worksheet that will help you plan and document the act phase. Okay, so next I'm gonna move to um, showing you how you can incorporate CQI into your program. Okay. In order to prepare for CQI, as I said earlier, it's really important that you get buy-in across your team that you work with on a regular basis. So in order to, um, in order to make these small changes, you know, like, basically conduct an experiment in your program, that will require buy-in from leadership to undertake. So in the past, we've engaged leadership or leadership has come to us and asked us to train staff in using these methods. So while having leadership buy-in is great, what is key to this method is having all levels within the organization from frontline staff or direct service staff 
supervisors of those staff, as well as leaders to be engaged in the process. And this has been one of the most important elements to execute PDSA cycles that we've found. So we found that frontline staff are critical to the process. They provide valuable insights about how services are delivered and how to interpret the data um, that's being collected in the field. The first step is to form a team, a small team, that has included someone like a program manager or clinical supervisor type, along with a veteran frontline or direct service provider as members of the CQI team. Higher up leadership only plays roles during specific times. So they're likely to, you know, sort of chime in the front end of the process, say, yes, I approve you to spend, you know, some of your time doing this work, um, coming in to approve whatever CQI action you put together as part of the due phase. And then in the final stages as part of the act phase of, of kind of deciding what next step should be and, and kind of reporting out what happened with your PDSA cycle. So once you set up your team and you're ready to go, the next step is to gather data to inform your CQI action. Um, you know, sometimes people come to this process and they already have kind of an idea of what they, what they want to undertake. Um, and that's okay too. But it's important to like kind of consider you have the data in place as sort of a baseline before you implement any changes so you know whether the change is making any difference. Um, and some people come to this and have no idea what they want to do. Um, so we have these tools that will help you kind of figure out where you are in the process. Um, and the reason why there's three tools is it depends on like what sort of data you may have access to you. And I'm gonna go through some examples later on. Once you've gathered data to inform what you wanna work on, how we've done this in the past is then um, a workshop is held. And the reason for this is you wanna have some dedicated time set aside, like a half day, to determine what your CQI action is and document a plan to launch that and study it. Um, and so once this is done, when you have it and you have it approved and you're ready to go, then you go ahead and execute the CQI action and study it. Um, and we recommend that you really do this within a three to four month period, because if it goes on any longer than that, it just loses momentum. Um, after you've kind of been able to study the impact of your CQI action, then you go to the act phase, you complete the next steps worksheet, and you decide what to do next. So this little small change that you make in your program, you might decide, oh, this is really working and it's helping us. So you need to consider how to adopt it long-term. Or you might decide it wasn't quite getting the outcomes that you wanted, in which case you might modify it, tweak it a small bit, and try it again. Or you might whole cloth, discontinue it altogether, and start at the top, start at, plan, at the plan phase all over again. So that's kind of the different like pathways that you can go in this process. So, Lessons others have learned from trying to do this is, first off, don't, you know, sort of bite off more than you can chew, that improvements can be significant even if they're from small action. So be realistic and don't set yourself up to make too many changes at once or too large of changes at once. Also, and keep in mind that there's no perfect program. So don't expect just that you do one PDSA cycle, you're done, you're finished, like everything's wonderful. It may take several iterations. Um, and the idea is that it is continuous, that there's always something to work on and do better. Um, and finally, CQI requires good management, training, teamwork, and measurement, time and faith. So you'll have some ebb and flow through the process in which things are going really well, There'll be times when you might have to like go back and look at your timeline and regroup and maybe give yourself more time to do something that you thought was really easy on the front end of the process. 
But um, what we suggest you do is really just try to routinize whatever you find that works really well, well and then move on. Um, so next I'm gonna go through some examples from the field using real completed worksheets from programs we've worked with. Um, so first I'm gonna give you some examples from the planning phase. Um, so as I said earlier, there's three worksheets you could use to sort of document the planning phase. Um, one is called the prog program component worksheet. And that's a way to kind of evaluate your program from start to finish. And this can be done without access to any sort of hard data process and outcome data. Um, and I'll go, I'll give, I'll give you more information about that in a moment. Um, there's also the program delivery worksheet that um, helps you think through your process data. And what I mean by process data or delivery data, those are things like monitoring implementation. So they can be like client, you know, client or per patient retention rates, the so quality of care, um, implementation or fidelity. Um, and then finally, the program outcomes worksheet is a way to, to have you formally look at your outcome data. So outcome data in this sense are things like patient symptoms or functioning, something about what uh, eventually where you want to get with your, um, the people you serve. Um, so this next slide just shows you what this component worksheet looks like. And I'm gonna walk you through it. I know it's like a lot of information here. And then give you an example using a real program that we work with. Um, so the idea is, you know, you first at the top, just put in your program name, the date that you complete this. And the idea of this worksheet is to document the strengths and weaknesses of your program. And how we've organized it is with these four um, kind of phases that kind of fit for most programs, which is you have the entry phase, which is referrals to your program. Then you have the intake process. Next, you, you um, move to service delivery. And finally, there's like the outcome phase. And how this worksheet is set up is that at the top, there's places for you to write in the strengths of your program in relation to these four phases of your program. And at the bottom, there's a place for you to, to write in and document the weaknesses of your program. And what's in the middle are just kind of prompts or questions to ask yourself uh, um, about the program to help you, help you figure out whether you have strengths or weaknesses. They may or may not apply to your program. Um, so for example, in service delivery, you might ask yourself, are the services I'm delivering, are they evidence-based? Are they delivered with quality and consistency? How are my retention rates? How is client satisfaction? Am I serving the intended population? Do I have the resources? Are staff trained? Do they have the curriculum? Do they have the capacity to deliver the work? And what we envision is, although you can complete this by yourself, it's really great to get in a small team and just brainstorm around um, this and just honestly and transparently kind of document things that are going really well or not so well with your program. And omission is really important. Like if you can't complete the outcomes come, like you have no idea whether you're meeting your objectives. That's also important information too, because what we've seen programs do is is actually use that as their CQI action. Like, oh, our CQI action is gonna be, we're gonna start collecting outcome data, or we're gonna start monitoring our referral process so that we know how we're doing. Um, so the whole idea of these worksheets is just help, um, helping you sort of um, identify areas that you might want to focus on for a CQI action. So what does this look like for a real program? Um, so as I said, recently I was working with a bunch of programs in New York City, um, and what they were trying to do is train non-mental um, non health clinicians to screen and refer to specialty mental health care. Um, and so um, they were working with different um, programs that see clients who have a high need for mental health services. 
So this was a, a family shelter program. Um, and so they went through this process. So everything you see in yellow is things that they wrote in. The program they were trying to implement um, is here is called C2C or Connections to Care. Um, and they were, they identified a lot of things in terms of strengths and weaknesses of their program um, that could help them think about what to work on moving forward. So for example, their intake process, although they identified that um, they have a really flexible scheduling process and they have consistent follow-up and follow-through with this shelter population, they did feel like their intake process was a lot of paperwork and very burdensome and that it didn't, they couldn't always do it very well with all their clients because of language barrier issues. Um, so you can see how they were able to identify both strengths and weaknesses of their program that could be things that they could work on moving forward. This is what the uh, program delivery worksheet looks like. Now this is actually three pages that walks you through documentation of what your program delivery objectives are and whether you're on track um, and help you think about, again, like things that you might be able to do better. And so on this first page, what it's designed to do is have you document what your objectives are and how those are aligned with the problems in your program. So even on this first page, if you have a disconnect or you can't you know, draw a line between what your program is designed to do and what you set out to deliver, that could be a disconnect that you might wanna work on. The second page of this three-page worksheet asks you to document the time period you're reporting on. So it's really important, as I said earlier, when you set out to this, is kind of set up a baseline, um, a starting point where you have some um, information about um, how your program is operating. So this one just prompts you to answer some questions about how your program is delivered. And again, I'll show you again with this filled out so you have a better sense of it. And then finally, this sort of harks back to the first page of having you detail for each program delivery objective. And this is arbitrary that there's three. You could have one, you could have more than three. Um, but this easily fit to page. Um, you uh, identify a measure to see if you're um, meeting your program delivery objective. You document the benchmark or what you're required to meet. You document your actual program's performance. And then you, you know, answer a question like, are you meeting your, your benchmark? Is it better than previous periods? And based on this, do you think some action is needed? So this helps you identify a place where you might want to make a change. So again, I'm going to walk you through an example of how this form is completed and how a real program has used this to identify a CQI action. So this time, um, it was a different um, Connections to Care program. It was an employment training program that worked with transition age youth and young adults um, and their program delivery objectives were um, they were expected to enroll 640 participants across the year they were expected that 70 percent of people they identified as having a mental health need were um, successfully referred to a mental health provider and their third program delivery objective was that they fully equipped their staff to deliver this mental health um, intervention. So they wanted to make sure all their new staff were trained and that their staff ongoing would receive coaching and supervision moving forward. So as you can see, these are not outcome, these are not outcomes, these are like process measures. Um, of making sure that your program is delivering um, with quality. So they decided to look at their, you know, sort of a quarter's worth of data um, to see if they were meeting the mark. Um, the number they reached was 167 
their target was 160 new participants. Um, and then there's a question like if you're delivering a curriculum um, or some ongoing treatment, you might also document whether people got that full delivery or full treatment. In the third page, you see how they documented how well they were doing. So in terms of their overall enrollment, as shown on the last sheet, they met their objective. So they enrolled 167 people and their goal was 160 for that quarter. So they exceeded their objective. Um, based on that, they didn't think any, any new action was needed. They didn't need to do anything with their program. They were doing a great job in terms of enrolling people in this program. In terms of their second objective of whether they were keeping their referral rate, that was kind of a different story. So they found that about 60% of their participants who they referred to a mental health provider um, were successfully referred, um, whereas the target was 70%. So they missed this objective. It was worse from previous periods. So they considered this some, an area that they might wanna work on. And finally, on their third objective about training and continuous coaching and supervision, um, you can see here that they were having trouble getting their new staff trained and they missed the mark on that one, but they were doing okay in terms of their continuous coaching and supervision. So this tool kind of just helps you document like kind of where you are, um, make sure you have the data. They obviously have the data in hand to take a look at how they were doing on their delivery objectives and also helps them think, identify areas that they might wanna work on moving forward. The program outcome worksheet, um, I'm not gonna go over in great detail. It's set up very similar to the program delivery worksheet, but the focus is more on impact. So what your program outcomes are and whether you're achieving those. Um, and again, you just you identify a period you wanna work on, uh, last month, last quarter, last year, and whether you're meeting those objectives in terms of serving the number of participants. And if you have data that really is representative of the population you serve, which is really important. Oftentimes, programs have outcome data, but the outcome data is only of, say, program completers. It's not everyone that was referred to the program, enrolled in the program, and that presents a problem. And then, you know, the last sheet is, again, very similarly designed, like the program delivery worksheet, except you're looking at outcomes. So we set it up so you would have like a pre and post picture. That's we have a question in the chat. Um, somebody sure. wants to know, could I use PDSA just for myself, not at the program level, while I'm at home and only working with my clients by phone? I think you can. It's not going to be a systematic change um, in terms of, but certainly there's nothing about working remotely that would prevent you from doing um, the plan, do, study, act cycle. And what I suggest you do is kind of sit down and see if you can complete any of the planning worksheets. And if you have trouble with completing any of those, then you probably need to take a step back and think about what resources you would need before proceeding through the Plan Do Study Act cycle. But as I said earlier, it does, um, you may make some sort of small change in the way you deliver care um, and then monitor that change and see if it makes a difference um, as a way of doing CQI kind of on your own. Um, but because you operate in a larger system, in order to make that change, it probably will require buy-in um, by other people. So keep that in mind. So once you complete those worksheets, the next step is trying to identify and prioritize a CQI action. So from those worksheets, you might tell, you might identify several areas in your program that you might wanna make a change. 
Um, and then, you know, you need to decide how to sort of map out a way forward. Um, so what you want to ask yourself is, you know, are your current practices reaching the goals of the program? And do your current practices match norms in the field? And if there are areas in which you fall short, those could be things that you may want to work on. Um, and then um, we have you, the next worksheet helps you sort of winnow down from those areas that you might want to work on to one you want to start with. And that's what the CQI action identification worksheet is designed to do. Um, so I, again, I'm going to show you a real life example of that. So this is from a program, a substance use treatment program that I work with here in LA County. And um, as you may know, like LA County, like their county contract requires um, that they meet certain um, levels of retention. So with substance use treatment, the 14-day and the 30-day mark are really important. And so for every person that gets, um, they have an intake with, um, gets counted and they have to meet certain goals in terms of how many are retained for 30 days. Uh, and it's, and it's, you know, it's challenging to meet because people fall in and out of treatment. It's voluntary, right? It's hard. Um, and then another thing that they identified was really important for them to work on is increasing and improving clinical supervision. Again, people are busy. There's a lot of staff turnover. And so sometimes it's hard to like schedule and, um, and maybe the first thing to go is clinical supervision. So that was one thing they wanted to get back on their calendar. They had had some uh, attrition with their supervision, their su clinical supervisor, and they had a new supervisor, so they need to get back on the calendar. So once you identify like those areas you might want to work on, um, the next step in the worksheet is for you to compare your performance to the prior year, compare it to national standards, and then based on your own organization and program's objectives, um, monitor how well you're doing. Now, if you've already completed or identified this issue as part of your program delivery or outcomes worksheet, you're just essentially copying that information over. But if, it, if you hadn't gone through that process, like you only complete the program components worksheet, then we just give you a chance um, to, make, to prompt you to answer these questions because it may help you identify what you want to work on. So in this case, their client retention had been the same, um, but it compared to national standards, they were doing worse. And in terms of meeting their own program objectives, they had missed them. Um, and, and with the clinical supervision, again, they were doing worse than they were doing previously due to the turnover in their program. They hadn't met national standards or program benchmarks, and they had missed their program objectives. So column three in the worksheet just allows you to sort of um, describe what's going on. Like, why, what are the known challenges in meeting this issue? So in the case of client retention, they reported they experienced a lot of dropout. Um, and this was especially true for their female participants. In terms of clinical supervision, um, again, they had like lost their supervisor, so the biweekly um, meetings had stopped, they hired a new person, and now it was time to like sort of get that back on the calendar. The next phase of the worksheet has you think about priorities. So, um, as I said earlier, you don't want to bite off more than you can chew and do, you know, try to do too many things at once. So if you're trying to decide what to work on first, you might be, um, this just helps you ask yourself these questions of what you might want to focus on. So you might want to think about how important is it to address this issue right now? Um, consider your capacity. What resources do you have to address the issue? Um, consider the evidence base. Is this change or this change um, something that you can address? Is there an evidence base 
for making this change and is it associated with outcomes? Will this improve your program if you make this change, essentially? We also want you to think about impact. Like, is this the most impactful thing you can do with your program? And then finally, scope. Is it achievable to, to make a change in the next quarter? Sometimes you just don't have the resources at that moment to make a change. We have a question again from the audience. We have someone that asks, sometimes people are hesitant to buy into CQI because they feel it may result in punitive action. Do you have any recommendations on addressing that concern? Yes. So that kind of harks back to like that prep phase that I talked about earlier, that it is important to get buy-in from leadership before implementing this. Um, and, you know, that can, that can hold you, that might suggest you need to pivot. Um, and here's another place um, that could help you. Like if you can identify more than one thing you want to change about your program, um, you know, one might be a non-starter with leadership, in, in which case you could try to do something else instead. Um, but we do understand, yes, this needs, um, you need to have motivation across the board um, and interest in doing this. Um, and, you know, that, that can be a real issue. So if there's a way, the other thing that we've, um, provide technical assistance on is to just start out by documenting outcomes or documenting performance and how performance might be hindered by not doing something about it. So one program we worked with was really frustrated with how bad their staff turnover was um, and their leadership won't do anything about it. So we sat down and we, we figured out how much it cost each year to recruit and train new staff and then presented that to leadership and said, look, if we just provided better incentives for our existing staff to stay, we wouldn't be spending this much money every year recruiting and training new people. And that led to a change in the program where they incentivize existing employees and then looking at attrition over time. And it was a win-win for the organization because leadership often is very interested in the bottom line. And so showing how this change in the program could influence the bottom line was something that got leadership on board to make the small change and study it and, and then use this data to show that the change made a difference. So I hope that's helpful um, and helps answer your question. So getting back to this worksheet, once you sort of prioritized where you might wanna make a change, you might set a priority, priority area of what you think is most important to do right now. In this case, this program wanted to undertake both these things at once. They were focused on you know, different staff were going to be involved in planning and executing the work. So it was feasible. And here they just document in the last box rationale, like, why are they doing this? Um, so moving on to once you decide what you want to work on, you need to think through how your program plans to do the action. And I can say through documenting each of these different actions, you might figure out something is a non-starter, a no-go. So once you start thinking through how you're going to implement the CQI action, again, is a place where you might say, oh, wait a minute, we have to go back to the starting line because we can't do this. So you need to think through how you make this change in your program, why you're making this change to convince others and get everyone on board, how will it be done, and who's responsible and kind of setting up a timeline to hold yourself and others around you accountable for getting this work done. So what this program came up with was due to the um, attrition issues with the female clients, they thought if they implemented gender specific groups, that would help um, with their retention. 
So what they were going to do was start implementing gender-specific programming by having um, at least one, you know, male-specific and female-specific group a week. This was a residential program. Um, so they would add this to the calendar so that each client had a gender-specific group every week. Um, and things they had to think about was making sure they had enough clients or enough counselors to facilitate two groups at once because before they just put everyone together so they had fewer staff. Um, and then they also had to acquire evidence-based gender-specific programming to implement these groups, you know, support these groups. Um, so in terms of who was responsible, they assigned the program manager and clinical supervisor to make the changes in the um, schedules of the groups. Um, then they had to identify counselors um, about this change to make sure the clients knew that they would now have these new groups to go to. They had also identified counselors to facilitate the groups and train them. So the clinical supervisor was going to look for the evidence-based programming. Um, and so they gave themselves some time before they started these groups to make sure that they had evidence-based programming and they had the counselors lined up and trained to deliver it. So um, this just helps you think through everything you need to go through to successfully execute a change. In terms of improving and increasing client supervision or clinical supervision, um, they um, had to think about, you know, why are they doing this? They thought it was going to help with both staff retention and improve client outcomes. Um, so um, they discussed how it will be undertaken. That's like identifying a meeting time twice a month where the supervisor in advance would review client charts and observe some groups for adherence. Um, and they would develop a clinical supervision monitoring tool for these activities. And then in the supervision groups themselves would be where the supervision would provide feedback to the staff um, in case management or one-on-one. -on -one. And they knew they needed the supervisor to identify training materials um, to present at these monthly meetings and also document participation and meeting activities. Um, so their timeline for this event, um, you know, again, they gave themselves some time. They knew the clinical supervisor was um, mainly gonna be responsible for this with some oversight from the program manager. Um, so um, that's how they had set this up. So I'm not gonna walk you through, um, I know this is a lot of information all at once. So I'm not gonna walk you through the worksheets for the do and study and act phase. Um, they're in the manual. There's also an example program, a real program, a mentoring program that we work with, with their completed worksheets in the manual too. So you can see how to fill them out. Um, because it's really useful to do this in steps and how we've always worked with programs is just start with the, the planning phase and this data gathering phase for some time before, you know, take this step by step because every step um, requires a lot of intention and you, um, we are always working with people that already have full-time jobs, already have a full caseload and they, so you you can only do so much at a time. So we've typically worked with programs that have taken a few months just to work through the planning phase um, of the process. Um, and then I said, set aside like a, a retreat or a workshop um, to, to really think through how you're gonna execute the do phase, make sure you have all those things in place and um, you know, supervisor leadership support that can then bless your, your CQI action and may allow you to move forward in doing it. Um, and then, you know, check in every month and expect 90 to 120 days later that you're ready to, you've studied your action, you're ready to like move to act and decide like, are you going to continue this action because this was like the right thing to do? Or are you going to tweak it? or discontinue it, and then start the process all 
um, all over again if you're not exhausted by then. So the other thing is, is even though this is a continuous quality improvement and the idea is to continue to do these cycles, we've often found that after the first cycle or two cycles, programs become exhausted and you do need to take a break. And I think that's totally okay to think about initiating one of these efforts and doing it like once a year instead of doing it constantly, continuously. Um, because you, you do need to avoid burnout. And this is, you know, it is, it does take extra time and energy to undertake. And you want to do it intentionally and with quality. Um, to summarize, so I wanted to give you some examples of um, what do these look like when it's all said and done. Um, and so a couple pro programs from um, New York who engaged in this process with me. Um, they created these one-page report outs to the funder of what they got of this QI process. So they could explain what they did, how they monitored, what their results were, and what the next step. So this is just, you know, sort of, this is from a real program um, that undertook this effort. Um, they were in an employment organization, so their main focus was helping vulnerable populations um, help them become employed. So giving them job training, giving them job ready. And what the grant money that they got was, this Connections to Care program was to um, help people, help the employment training staff identify, screen um, people for mental health issues and refer them to a mental, especially mental health provider that was appropriate. And in this case, their CQI goal was to increase ongoing participant engagement with mental health provider services after the initial referral was made. So they're doing a really good job of screening and referring, but then after that, people are falling off. And so what they wanted to do was um, they tested two small changes. They re reconfigured their scheduling of the process so that the mental health provider and job training sessions were scheduled for the same day, um, which helped with people making their appointments. And then they designed a short guide and best practices for referral and engagement and trained their job coach and job development staff to use the guide. And they monitored, the, monitored like how well people were keeping their appointments and getting to the mental health um, provider sessions over time. And you can see this, their pre-CQI measure and their post-CQI measure that their action made a big difference in terms of the number of participants that were engaged. Um, and so moving forward, they were going to find a way to continue to, you know, make, continue these changes, um, reconfigure um, scheduling, their scheduling to facilitate um, retention. Um, and then here's just another example from a different employment organization who was interested in rescreening. So they were really good at setting up this initial screening for mental health symptoms, both depression and anxiety, and then they would refer to mental health services, people who screened um, as needing um, more care, um, but they, that's all they did. So they wanted to know what happened after people were referred and started receiving services, were they getting any better? So they implemented this re-screening after um, people got a certain number of mental health sessions to see if, if it was making any difference. And they monitored that. So that required them to like build, um, they actually ended up taking more than 90 days because they thought they could easily change their database to collect, <laughs> collect this information. And then once they engaged their IT department, it turned out to take a little longer than they anticipated to make the change in their database that they needed to collect this information. So, you know, that's just, a, just an example of like, even though at the end of the day they were successful and they got the data they wanted, sometimes at the outside, you don't really know how long it's going to take you or you don't. Um, you can't anticipate these changes. So it does require some tweaks along the way. Um, but you can see here on their graph that they were able to show that 
this program seemed to be making a difference that people were um, self-reporting less depressive um, and anxiety symptoms after engaging in the treatment. Um, so this is going to actually help them go back um, and go to new funders um, because they now have some data to show like their program was actually making a difference um, in terms of improving people's mental health symptoms. Um, and that's going to set them, tee them up um, for other funding opportunities. Um, so that is all I have in terms of um, material for you today. And I know that was a lot. Um, so I just, you know, here's a chance. I know we have a few more minutes. Um, so if you have any um, questions or comments or anything that stood out um, to you about this approach. We have one question. Um, do you have any recommendations for identifying outcomes? The UCLA staff who works closer to the FSP programs would probably be in a better position. Um, I don't know how well um, your systems track things like symptoms, functioning, participant quality of life, um, related conditions like substance use, use of emergency services um, or critical care. I think one thing FSP tries to do is to provide that ongoing support so that people don't have to engage with intensive emergency or other crisis care um, because that's very expensive. Um, so looking at participant utilization of those services or self-report from the clients in terms of their mental health symptoms, functioning, use of substance use, stress, trauma, things of that nature. Um, those are things off the top of my head. Do you recommend that we share results from PDSA cycles with our clients directly or mainly staff? And what are the benefits of sharing data with clients? So, you know, these examples I'm providing you from New York, we actually, and with the um, LA County substance use programs I work with, what we had is we had these cohorts of programs that would come together and there were two or three staff from each of the programs and we would meet monthly for like um, three months, six months or um, sometimes over a year to work on this. And it was usually like a veteran frontline staff person and a clinical supervisor and or program manager, and sometimes a date, like a data person. And we would meet and, you know, kind of plan for PDSA and walk and talk about how it was going each time. Um, and they would then circle back with their staff and talk about, okay, this is, you know, this is something we're going to try to undertake and sometimes it involves training for them or extra um, you know data collection or some small change so they might need to be engaged and be in the process to understand what's happening or it helps if you do decide to make a change in a program as a result of this it does help to clarify why you're making the change and what the results are so um, for clients, it just depends on what you're doing. Um, I, I, it might not really matter to them because they're in the space, so they might not be around through the entire PDSA cycle that would, it would matter for them to understand that you're, um, you're making a change or what the impact of your change is. But certainly, um, in the greater scheme of things, it's always important to convey to the public um, that you're interested in quality improvement and what quality improvement, how that has impacted your programming or made a difference. Um, so we've seen organizations like post on their website, 
oh, you know, the results of their continuous quality improvement efforts, for example, and what they've learned and how their program has changed as a result of it. We have a great comment here. Um, it says, I've shown clients their own personal outcomes over time that show improvement and it has been very meaningful to them and helped validate their progress. They felt it really helped them acknowledge their own progress. Yeah, oh definitely. If you're monitoring symptoms or functioning, um, that can be really meaningful for clients to be able to actually see that with their own eyes. Um, and even having a conversation around what that means to, to them um, and if they think that's meaningful. So yeah, if that happens to be what you do as part of your um, CQI action, that, that's great. Totally agree with you. Well, thanks everyone. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. And I'm grateful um, to have a chance to share PDSA with all of you.